Red Letter Promises study this morning, and I'll be teaching out of John 15, and uh, we'll be looking at the I Am, the True Vine, Jesus the True Vine. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, of some sort or fashion, whether it's the old style pages or on your device. If you stand together, let's read our passage, which I'll read down to verse 17, John chapter 15 this morning, out of uh, respect for the Word of God this morning. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. The Lord bless his word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to peer into this very intimate moment that Jesus had with his disciples in this passage, that we might hear it through their eyes and ears and emotions and circumstance, and that we also might hear it for ourselves today, that we might see that you have such great plans for us, great joy for us, great abundance for us, and that we might be able to see how that we can be so connected to you that it is the natural outcome of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to open your scriptures, to, to explain them, to apply them. We pray that we would all have ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated, please. This first illustration that's uh, coming up on the uh, overhead is uh, a dip back into my recent uh, career, which was a home inspector. I just started a new job this past Monday, but I've been involved with uh, building projects for a long time. And um, this is uh, three different illustrations I'll show you of solid aluminum wiring, which is a problem. If you live in old Columbia, you probably have it in your house. My house was built in 1975 in Catonsville, and I had just this kind of experience one day plugging the vacuum in, and boom, big ball of fire pops out, and that's what my outlet looked like. The next illustration, and that's an obvious one, is 
a little more difficult. You'd have to take the face plate off of the outlet. You might see that there is also a burnt wire, again, aluminum wire. I don't want to scare you too much, but, you know, if it's going good, that's great. But there can be signs that you have a problem, and that will probably uh, show up not so easily. You'll just plug it in, it won't work, and you'll wonder, what in the world's going on here? And you'll be a little frustrated about that, and you might not see it because it's not as obvious. The next one is uh, more difficult. This is at the service panel, and you'll see that middle wire is barely hanging on, just got a little bit of connection to the power source. And that one's going to be super aggravating. You're probably going to have to be a professional, find that one. And yet, you'll probably get flickering, and you'll maybe get some signs that something's not quite right. Hopefully, you don't get a fire in your electric panel, which is possible also. All three of these things... <clears throat> Uh, the, it kind of illustrates something about sometimes what our connection to Christ is like. We can have some obvious things that disconnect the power. Uh, you know, if we're sinning, we should not be surprised that we're not bearing fruit, we're not, we're not being effective and productive. And that should be pretty obvious to us. But some of them are a little more difficult to discern. Some are under the surface and some go deep to the heart. As we come to our passage this morning, we want to see that this passage has a utilitarian purpose, but it, it, it came out of a very difficult, challenging time for the disciples. They have just been told again, Jesus has been saying for some time, I'm going to be handed over to, men, to sinful men. They're going to crucify me and I'm going to die. And then he says, I'm going to rise again. Somehow that all got lost in the translation because what we see in these pa this passage we call the Upper Room Discourse in chapters 14 through 16, is that Jesus is trying to prepare these people for his passing, his death. We would call it maybe Jesus' last will and testament. It is some of the most intimate things that we have in the, all of the Gospels, where Jesus bears his heart. He tells his disciples the secrets, basically. And we come to this passage, and we see that Jesus starts in Chapter 14, he talks about the spirit that's going to come and the one he's going to send. And he begins to discuss the fact, hey, I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm going to allow there to be a vital connection to me through my spirit. And then he goes on and, and picks up in verse 25. He talks about the helper the, who the Father will send in my name. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then we see that <clears throat> probably about this time, they start to leave the upper room, <clears throat> and they're on their way to Gethsemane, and they're probably passing by some, some grapevines like we had on that first slide. And they're probably, you know, it's a teachable moment. Jesus is taking the analogy, and he kind of has an aside, and he talks about this connection that he wants to maintain with them and how they need to be a part of maintaining it as well. And so we come <clears throat> to this passage, excuse me, I need this we want to look at the end first. Let's look at the end before we look at the parts. I think the big, one of the big picture verses here in this passage is verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. That's kind of a startling statement when you think about these people are going through anticipatory grief. They're, they're, it's, it's, it's dawning on them. This really is going to happen. And he says, I want you to have joy. I want to have joy. I want to have it together. So let's <clears throat> look at the passage, and let's, uh, let's start at the end. 
some uh, asides to understand this passage. This is about fruit bearing. The first thing it's not is this is not fruit inspector training. This is not about us like looking around and saying, oh, I wonder if they got any fruit, you know? I don't see too much fruit going on in my wife's life right now. Maybe she you know, needs to read this passage or whatever. No, that's not true. You, my wife is lovely. Matter of fact, I can't hold a candle to um, her walk in many ways. But this is not fruit inspector training. <clears throat> this is also not x-ray vision into people's hearts. That This is given to us so somehow we would know what's going on in someone else's life and that we could discern their heart. I mean... Bible says no one knows the thoughts of a man's heart except for that man in the Spirit of God. So this is not the purpose. But this is a means to evaluate personal spiritual health and maturity. This is meant in some way because we're commanded to abide. We're told that if we don't abide, we're, we can't do anything. And sometimes we need to come to grips with the fact that maybe the power's been cut off somehow. And we know it's not the Spirit's fault. So what's going on that I need to examine and look at? This is about spiritual health and maturity. And those are two separate concepts. And it's just a quick aside here. Any believer, no matter if you're day one as a believer or day you know, 60th year, you can have spiritual health. We can know that we're in a healthy relationship. We have sins confessed. As far as we're known, we're obeying all that we're aware of. Obviously, if you're a new believer, you don't know much yet. <laughs> but you can be spiritually healthy because you're responding to the voice of God as you know it at that time. A person can be spiritually mature, but not healthy. That makes sense. They can have been in the Lord for some time, but today they're not walking with God. They're not connected. They're not abiding. They're not having the Spirit's life producing them. Obviously, the goal, the ideal is that we persist over time. You know, day by day, week by week, year by year, and we try to maintain a healthy relationship. That's what abiding in Christ is about. And so um, we can talk more of that. I know we talked about that a little bit in our life group the other day, and we had to go back and retread that. So maybe those concepts have to sink in a little bit. But know that the focus on this passage is how do we maintain health no matter what level of maturity we are. So let's identify the principal players. Obviously, in verse 1, we see that the father is the vine dresser. He's the one that has basically planted the vine. Jesus is the true vine. The father sent him to earth as a baby. He basically was planted at this tender shoot, Isaiah says. And he's established himself as the true vine, the source of of the life that needs to flow out to the branches. Then we have, um, uh, and then we have the son, of course, who's the true vine. And then, in particular, to this passage, the eleven are the branches. Those are the people that are listening to this address, this this teaching that Jesus is is intimately sharing. And remember, Judas has already left. By extension, obviously, we're a part of that vine as well. We're just a, we're another branch. We've We've gone through 2,000 years of the church's history, and somehow we've grown out here somewhere. And we're also connected to the true vine, just as the 11 disciples that were listening to Jesus were. Now, we need to identify the principal principle. I like plays on words, of course. But um, the, the key to this passage, and you'll see it repeated. There's a couple keys here. You see repeated words. 
First of all, it's all about bearing fruit. Verse 16, turn over there, we read it, but let's go back to it. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. I know this seems an odd thing, maybe when we talk about the emotion of this, this event, but Jesus had a goal in mind. Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. He's looking down the corridor, and he's seeing what he's planned, what the Father's planned. What Ephesians 2.10 says, that the works that were planned before the foundation of the world, that we walk in them. And that it is a joyful thing to the Son and to the Father when we're spiritually productive people. And so he says, look, this is your calling. I appointed you to bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Now, What's, the, what's, what's fruit? That's a natural question. What is fruit? And I, I see at least three things that fruit can be in the New Testament. The first is obvious, Galatians chapter 5, 23 to 25. We'll not turn there. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faith. You know, you, you go through this list, and those are godly characters. Those are godly characteristics. Interesting, if you, if you pay attention to the passage closely, Jesus is addressing fruit. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. He wanted you to have peace. And he said that over in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. God wants us to have the fruit of peace. We already looked. Verse 11, God wants us to have the fruit of joy, right? Joy, that blissful contentedness that is unshakable, no matter what our circumstances are. Doesn't mean we'll all be happy and, you know, like ready to have a party, but there's this settled sense that I am his and he is mine. Joy. And then, love. Verse 12, this is it, my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Hey, that kind of is the right progression. If you look at Galatians 5, it starts with the hallmark of character, right? Agape love, sacrificial love, and peace, joy, working that direction. And we find, interestingly, if you study the Gospels, this is the first time Jesus commands the disciples to love one another. All the way at the end of his ministry. Why is that? Because they were in process. They had to mature. They had to grow up. They weren't ready for that command until really the Spirit came. Because honestly, can any of us love sacrificially apart from the Spirit's power? Absolutely not. I know I can't. Can't do it. Titus 2 verse 14 tells us that there's this other kind of fruit bearing that should happen. It says that we're, we're called, we've been redeemed, so that we would be zealous for good works. That there would be some production out of our life in kindness, in service, and meeting the needs of other people, whether that's in the body or outside the body. And when we overflow in good works, we start to put out advertisements to the world that, that there's something different about Christians. They're not, they're not doing it with a handout or something in return. We respond to strangers that are in need. And we look for opportunities to give glory to God in those opportunities that we have to serve. And then finally... <clears throat> Another place I see, and this is sometimes understood as fruit, and sometimes that's why we get frustrated. Man, I haven't led anybody to Christ in a long while. And we should ask that question, maybe. 
But Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20 says that we're to go and we're to make disciples. We're to basically be spiritual reproducers of ourselves. We should be seeing God bring baby Christians into our, our circle, our fellowship group, our, our church. And the way we see that happen is we start with an abiding relationship with Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. It's all about bearing fruit. It's all about abiding. It's all about abiding. The word is repeated again and again and again. And it's not only here, it's through the Gospel of John, actually. He likes that word. And we're commanded in verse 4 to abide in Him. Abiding has two elements to it. The first is we actually have to be in the vine first. It's built on an already established status. In me and I in you, verse 4. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. There's this, this connection where the vine and the branch grows out. Like if you pulled that apart, you would actually see parts of that material interconnected. And uh, this happens on a lot of things that grow, not just vines. Um, I split wood for our, our uh, wood stove, and the toughest place to split it is right where that bough breaks off of the trunk. I mean, that really like bend up, the, <laughs> bend up the splitter sometimes. And it's meant to be so vital that you almost can't discern where the one ends and the other begins. And that's what Christ wants for us, that we're so close to him, and we're already in the vine. That's salvation. We got put in the vine when we became a believer. And you, you see the term, in me. Remember back to our study in Ephesians chapter 1? We said the word, in me, in me, in him, in him. Our salvation has a status that we had nothing to do about. We didn't put ourselves in the vine. The Holy Spirit did at the moment of salvation. But there's this other experience where we decide to be submissive to the vine as a branch. And we allow that flow to freely come into our life. And that's the second thing we have here. It's built up through an ongoing intimate relationship. An ongoing intimate relationship. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus modeled and explained to them that he had with his own father. Go back to chapter 14 and verse 21. It says, well, let's go to verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my father. And I will love him. And notice this, and I will disclose myself to him. Again, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Do you see the intimacy there? I mean, and it's, it's not keep your commandments in order to love me. It's if you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commandments. There'll be something motivating you out of the relationship. Now, should we keep the commandments anyway? Yeah. Yep. It's always good to do the right thing. But Jesus is looking something deeper. Where is our love life with Jesus? It's such a, a neat thing to think that this intimacy, this keeping of his commandments out of a motivation of love, allows the Father and the Son to share secrets with us. Isn't that what you do with a best friend? You know, if something great happens to you, don't you think about, I got to tell somebody. And who do we tell? We tell somebody we care deeply about. We tell our wife, we tell our best friend, we tell our kids. 
And we want them to rejoice with us. Or we want them to bear something with us sometimes as well. You want people that you care about to be connected to you just as you want to be connected to them in that moment. Notice it's not an antithetical thing. To keep Christ's words is to abide in His love. They're, they're, they're not disconnected from one another. That when the Word of God comes to us and it appeals to us to respond, we should want to respond, abiding in His love. Now let's see the progression. There is a progression in here. First of all, there's no fruit. And by saying no fruit, I'm not saying that people could have no fruit, but the fruit might not be visible, maybe not even to us. We, we sometimes get hard on ourselves and saying, well, you know, I'm not like so-and-so, and I, I'm just not seeing it. And we all have that experience. We have the experience where we think our prayers don't make it past the ceiling. We have that experience where, you know, we're in the Word, we're trying to do the right thing, but like John was telling us, sometimes it's not, it's not coming to us in a fresh and vital way. Sometimes we, we're, we're killed by the cancer of comparison where we look at somebody else and say, I wish my life was going good like that. Of course, we don't know everything about what's going on in someone else's life. And we can be discouraged. But there are some reasons for no fruit. The first I would say is a new believer. A new believer hasn't learned enough to really be bearing fruit, quite honestly. A new believer is fresh into it. They're freshly connected in. I was reading one thing about uh, vine keeping. Now, a lot of places... They'll let the vine grow for three years and they'll cut it back severely every year because the vine itself has to establish enough strength and resources to bear good fruit. So if you're a new believer, don't be discouraged. There's, there's a process here. Just stay connected in a healthy way. Second reason is you could be a recently pruned believer. We'll see that in just a minute. Recently pruned believer, if you're in that experience, you feel that. You feel like... Man, I am raw. I'm down on the low level right now. And a third reason, which is more concerning, is you could be a stubborn believer. You just don't want to obey. You just don't want to be connected. You're, you're having a pity party. You're having some kind of a, you know, I, I want to do my thing kind of experience. And you're going to disconnect yourself from the vitality that Christ wants for you. The second kind of fruit, we've got no fruit, and then we have some fruit. Great. There's starting to be spiritual production happening. And look what the vine dresser, that mean old vine dresser, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. He prunes it. Cuts it. Ouch. That, that doesn't feel good. And quite frankly, there are a couple kinds of pruning that I think about. There's basic reproofs of life, things that happen to us, and we're meant to like snap, snap to attention and say, what, what's going on here? What, what's God's trying to get my attention here? The other kind might be that we're being chastened. You know, we've, we've borne some fruit. We've kind of wandered away. And, and God's dealing with us as a son, Hebrews 12 says. And he's, he's bringing painful things into our experience to get us back to a connected place. And the third reason, our third type of pruning might be a trial. Might be a trial. We don't like those either sometimes. Because <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't seen what James says is that that. We should have a joyful response to trials, knowing that they are producing a greater faith, a greater ability to respond in obedience and cooperation with, with God, and for God to bring things to light that, 
We need to begin to bear maybe fruit in some kind of character area or the fruit of the Spirit. And so God sends us trials. And sometimes maybe we're not even doing anything wrong, but God knows that we're doing a lot of good things, we're not doing the best things. So he, he prunes us to kind of get us more focused. And that's the outcome of that is, <clears throat> is uh, if he prunes us, it's the goal that we would bear even more fruit. More fruit comes through greater focus. You know, we start to hone in. I just appreciated John's message talking about like the commitment to not only read God's word, but to memorize it, to meditate on it. You know, if we're only reading it, but we're not, you know, we're getting into the word, but we're not getting far enough for the word to get into us. And we'll see this later on. There's a certain amount of diligence, a certain amount of discipline that we have to say that I'm going to, th- I'm going to turn the TV off and I'm going to go study. I'm going to, you know, and, and, and this is just a maturity thing. I, I had all kinds of things I used to do when I was younger and had a lot more energy. I used to play a sports teams, rec leagues, all this kind of other things. And, and there's wrong, nothing wrong with that. But then you can end up with just a little bit of time to be connected to Christ. And sometimes God prunes us because he's trying to get our focus tuned in. The other thing that happens in this more fruit stage is we can develop a greater understanding of the vine dresser's work. You know, sometimes there's this experience that happens where we get chastened and we know how that feels. And then we have a trial and we know how that feels. And they both feel the same. And then we get, hey, God, I, I confess that I'm not, doing, I'm not going down these paths anymore. Why are you putting these hard things on me? And we get angry at God, thinking he's chasing us like some, you know, overbearing parent. What God's really doing is he's saying, no, no, you're, you are doing great, but I want you to do better. I want you to grow more. And so I'm going to send this hard thing in you for your good. And when we get to this stage, and this is really some maturity, where we, we are able to hear the Spirit's voice and have an affirmation to say, no, we're doing fine, but this is just something that's hard God wants us to go through right now so that we can bear even more fruit for his kingdom's sake. And finally, there's, there's the goal I think that all of us would want to get to, and that's the much fruit stage. And this is, uh, this is, this is something that we just aren't, we're not going to force it. We have to walk the path, okay? This is not only all the things we've looked at, greater focus, it's greater dependence over a greater span of time. It's walking the obedient path over a long span of time. We get a much fruit stage of life. And that's kind of thing that happens as we get older, right? <laughs> a lot of other things that we could spend our time on, they start just closing down. And I've seen this happen. My parents, my dad just turned <clears throat> 85 last week. My mom turned 86 last month. And, um, and the coolest thing is just to see my dad at 85 share with me something that he's committing himself to, that he, want, he know God still wants to grow him. That's awesome. I love that moment I have with him when we were talking about that. It's something that everybody in the family knew, hey, Dad, you know, maybe it's even been addressed, but he's owned it. He's like, you know, I'm trying, even at this age, to do, to do better, to, to submit this area to, to Christ. So I'm more in a place of fellowship, in a place of abiding with him. You know, the desired outcome, the Father's glorified, verse 8. By this... My father is glorified. My, my father's heralded. My, my fa- the, the neon lights go on to the father that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, I look at, 
I look at it this way. There are converts and they're new believers. They're disciples. There are people that have committed to the path. They've counted the cost. And Jesus laid that out. People wanted to follow, and he'd say, hey, do you really? This is what it's going to cost. And some people walked away. Look at John 6. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And after that, many people walked away. I don't, I don't want to be that organically connected to you. Much fruit believers prove they're also disciples. The word or become says to possess certain characteristics with the implication of their having been acquired. Like over time, these characteristics became a part so that you're recognized as a follower of Christ. I think one of the amazing things <clears throat> about this passage is that two of the people that listened to it, John and Peter, they both obviously took these words to heart. They went deeply because in 1 John, John talks about this stages of maturity. And I've left in your notes some study there. We'll not turn to it. But basically, John says there are, there, are, there, are, there are children, there are young men, and there are old men. There's a progression in the faith. And you can't just go from one and skip a step. You know, you have to you know, maintain that relationship, that abiding relationship, and grow to that place. But I'd like us to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, because I think this is one of the most amazing proofs that affirms this teaching that we've looked at in John chapter 15. <clears throat> in 1 Peter, or, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll put it up there, and I want you to notice I've highlighted certain things so it stands out, so I don't have to use my precious minutes and, ex and explain it to you. But I'll try to read it <clears throat> with that emphasis. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power, what's the divine power that we have? The Holy Spirit, right? Divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. What is that saying? That kind of sounds like whatever flows through the vine is also supposed to flow through me, correct? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, he's going to give us kind of an agenda in a way, a spiritual curriculum. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence or add to your faith moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Do you see how there's a progression? He's trying to grow us up to the mature man that looks like love. And you can compare Ephesians chapter 4 where it says that we're supposed to grow up and not be tossed about until we grow to the mature Man, to the measure that belongs to the stature of Christ. Love, the person that's marked by love, like agape, God's kind of love, that's a person that's grown and abided over time. Notice this promise. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor what? Unfruitful in the true knowledge of God. They make you useful and they make you fruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But... He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purifications from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. 
For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. In conclusion, we need to focus on a few things. If you turn to the next slide, because I don't have my notes. We need to abide in Him. We need to abide in Him. Maintain an intimate, connected relationship where the secrets flow back and forth. We need to keep His commandments and abide in His love. And there can be joy in our journey. I love that song. It's an older song. Michael Card. There is a joy in the journey. There is a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. All those who seek it shall find it. A pardon for all who believe. Hope for the hopeless and sight for the blind. To all who've been born in the Spirit, who share incarnation with Him, who belong to eternity stranded in time and weary of struggling with sin, forget not the hope that's before you and never stop counting the cost. Remember the hopelessness when you were lost. There is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom and fruitfulness to those who obey. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful that you were willing to bear your heart in such an open and honest and transparent way, not only with these 11 men who were grief-stricken, who were anticipating your departure, who was beginning to dawn on them that things were going to be different now. And they couldn't see that they were going to be better. They couldn't wrap their mind around that the Spirit's coming would would allow them to be so connected to you in an even greater way that they existed when they walked with you side by side. And yet, Father, that is what you promised to them, and that's what you promised to us. So help us to grab hold of that, to cherish it, to uh, involve ourselves in it in the, in the most intimate and vital of ways. And let us trust you in the process of the pruning, the process of growing us up to be... Uh, those much fruit disciples. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.